Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. And we're back behind the mics again, Peter. That sounds really uh, uplifting. It is, and it should be. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, well, the outcome can be. Yes. And there's hope for that. But we don't want to be uh, what I call Pollyannish and make it sound like it's really wonderful and easy and nice, because it's not. No. And so we're, we're, our subject that we're going to be talking about here and continue to talk about is a very difficult part of life. Um, the adversities, the stresses, the uncertainties, um, things that come upon us that are difficult and uh, challenging, some expected, some not expected. But in my mind, what's really important is for people to realize that this isn't just a passing phase of life. This is part of life, and it's real. And it's the difficult part of life. When we, it's interesting that uh, when I talk to people a little bit on a more cursory level and d describe some difficulties that we're dealing with, either in our work or in our personal lives, and I'll describe it a little bit, and I don't really want to get into it. One of the things I'll say is, but you know, that is life. And it is. Um, and sometimes you don't have to, I don't always want to go into all the difficulties, uh, but I do want people to know that I know it's part of life, and if they don't, they're going to find out because none of us are immune. So um, I think one of the things that I was thinking about very much so about our calling to make this these broadcasts. And this matters very much to us. And we have a, a passion and a calling to do this, to help folks know that there is guidance and direction and support and for us to give you some of the tools and skills you're going to need and understanding of what you're going through um, to meet this more difficult part of life to, to also to realize it's not the end of everything um, it's a phase and it's difficult but what we're here to do is to show you when you're in it how to deal with it better how to get through it um, there's, I've seen so many experiences in my life. I have a lot of friends that the kind of people I'm attracted to are more like myself. They've come up the hard way. They've had completely different lives than the lives they live today. Um, most of them are caregivers of one sort or another. They may not look at like it when you look at them, and neither they do I. They may not realize that they are. No, they realize it. Oh, they do? Okay. Yeah, but you may not when you look at them because I think of a very good friend of mine, Big Steve, who's a nurse. Mm -hmm. He actually looks like Mr. Clean. Yes. He's muscle-bound. He's a huge guy, and he's got such a heart. And he's a very loving guy, very intense, but very loving. He works in the ICUs and the emergency rooms. I've seen him in a firsthand in his work. He is exceptional. And there's others, many others that I know. 
and they all are giving, caring people with a lot of experience that have been through an awful lot to be able to come to where they are today. And that's the kind of people that I surround myself with. That's the kind of people that I, I get so much from just being around them. And I trust them, and they trust me. Um, so I guess one of the things that I really want to let people know is that you have choices when you're up against difficulties, just as I did and many of my friends did. And that is, I've seen people get run into difficulties that would, they kill you. They're so devastating and, and heartbreaking and painful. And I've seen some people, and these aren't the ones that I wind up hanging, hanging around with, I'll say that, but get so, they, they develop this despair and discouragement and fearfulness, always anticipating that things are going to be so bad, so they withdraw from life. They they just feel life's been so unfair to them, and they wallow in self-pity. They're broken, but in the wrong way. And they avoid challenges and difficulties in life because of that. Then there's others that have had, that I know, that have, if you look at them, they've had such devastating experiences They've been through so much. We're having a guest on our show next week, and that's Big Joe, and he's in a wheelchair. He's pretty much a paraplegic. He's in a car accident. Um, he had a pretty rough life before that. He wasn't exactly a wonderful guy, but he is now. And yet you look at him in his wheelchair, and anybody else would just want to collapse and see the the. the the devastation he's been through, and yet he has got an attitude that is so positive, so genuine, so uplifting and acknowledging of others in such real ways. He doesn't yes. have much BS left in him. No. And when he speaks, it's so refreshing because he means what he says. Mm -hmm. And he still has his struggles. He has his pain. His body is not cooperating with him anymore. Um, and yet he's a truly loving, lovable caring human being who seems to have realized what life is truly about, what he's on this earth for now. Um, I heard him speak before a group, and I wouldn't call him the most polished speaker. I would say he's one of the better speakers I've heard because he spoke from such a truthful place, yes, such an honest place about what kind of man he's been, what brought him to the place of that terrible car accident, and how he came out of it, and what he came to realize about life and about himself and he needed to make some changes and he sure been doing them but the man has a gratitude and an appreciation for the little things in life that is so appreciative it's just remarkable and yet if you see the situation he lives with every day mm -hmm. it's devastating and yet i know so many people like that that are just astounding human beings so I look at that and I go, well, on the surface, it looks like, God, they're just broken, devastated, disabled, uh, crushed people. And yet they're such winners. They are such champions. And they're a testimonial to others about what others could have in life if they just, if they just reach for the truth and get away from all of the negativity and things that don't really matter and focus on what really does matter and appreciate it for now. Um, 
that's the kind of thing that these kind of people be, are to us as testimonials. Yes. My wife is one of them, and she's in a she's in pretty dire straits physically now, and her disease is taking over pretty much, very much. And yet she is so inspiring to so many because she shows such courage and tenacity and a desire to really... Um, to embrace every bit of life that she has left. I know people watch our, our relationship, and we've had a very loving relationship for God, 45 years. It hasn't diminished at all. And I know that many people who watch us now are forced to evaluate their own lives and their own relationships and realize they don't have anything near that, nor have they put the work in to have anything near that. So... Um, I look at that kind of thing and I go, you know, um, here she is and she's still inspiring people with her courage. Yes, she is. And her loveliness and her caring. And they talk about her beauty and yet she's so broken by this disease. And yet yeah. it's the beauty that she has within as well. It's her spirit of love too. She's the, very the appreciative. The love that she has. Very loving. For you, for the people around her. Yeah, she loves me very much. She looks at me and just melts my heart. Yeah. Um, and she's one of the, of course, the most special person in my life. And I've got to tell you, I know other people like my wife. And they just touch your heart. You put somebody next to them that isn't like that or is kind of a, um, a counterfeit. Mm -hmm. They're good performers. Kind of artificial, that. maybe. Little, yep. Yeah. And I'll tell you how it falls away so darn fast. Yeah. Unless you're another performer. And they just don't hold a candle to these very special people. And I know it's also for the more honest people who can't seem to find a way out of performing that it is really hard on them because they begin to face the truth about themselves. I was just going to say that one thought that is going through my mind now as you're talking and about how some people respond by becoming grateful, becoming more genuine people, mm -hmm. and others can be negative or artificial. I know we've talked about this before, and it was your point that, and I'm even going to quote you here. Mm. You said, to face adversity, our starting point is to recognize our humanity. Yeah. I, I do think that's a little of what you're talking about here. It is. And I, I think what you're, the, one of the most powerful and most positive impacts of adversity, whether it be shock or, or trauma or just an ongoing difficulty, is that eventually it strips us. It begins to break us down. Our defenses begin to break down. The things that we've relied on to get through life uh, that we thought were going to give us security and um, some kind of immortality. I, I think that we all at some point have that fantasy. But one of the things that I get to see uh, is that when people begin to break down, it's a very painful thing to go through, but it can be so valuable because they begin to discover their own humanity. And when you begin to discover that, you can discover your humility, appreciation and gratitude for life, and also a compassion and a caring for your fellow man that you necessarily didn't allow yourself to see or to feel or even get near. And I love that. I've seen it in life crises. I saw it during the Great Recession. I've seen it during other difficult times in life where all of a sudden people begin to reach out and care for others and care for their fellow man 
with a deep compassion and love and understanding and desire to do something for them. Um, I've seen that in our community. This community is special, i got to say. Uh, Petaluma, I find a very unique and special community because I've seen the whole community do that uh, numbers of times. And it's amazing how people come out of the woodwork and show how much they care when they discover some a brokenness, a, 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 a need. Uh, I, th- I think on a great a grand scale, it happened during the fires a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. when all of the areas surrounding us were burning up. Homes, farms, ranches, businesses were just being consumed by these terrible natural disasters. And these people had to flee. Petaluma was in the middle of all of it, and we weren't touched by the fires. And people fled to Petaluma. I think it was over 100,000. I may be exaggerating, but I kind of remember that. They were coming with their trailers full of horses and livestock and furniture, and I just was amazed. And it was a very congested city with a lot of people that were desperately fleeing. With They had nothing left. And what I saw in this, in this city was such an incredible outreach and outpouring of generosity and caring and love and support um, and it was on a grand scale. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, certainly I saw it on the individual scale too, but that's the kind of town this is. And uh, it touches me. I've certainly seen it for individuals too. Individual families have a unique need or a unique loss or whatever. And the f- community rallies. It's just a, a wonderful place that way. I love that. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Peter, before our break, we mm-hmm. were talking about how our willingness, our ability to face, accept our own humanity during very hard times mm-hmm. can be so essential, so important in for us to be able to uh, grow and survive and move through in in positive ways. Um, It's not easy, is it, to accept our humanity? Because if we kind of break that down, that means having to face the things that I'm not good at, the my limitations, uh, the things that I can't change that I'm going to have to accept and adjust to. Um, I'm going to have to take a good hard look at myself and see some things that I maybe don't want to see. I can avoid it. I'm sure people avoid it. They'll say, "This is I'm. This is everything's very hard, but it has nothing to do with me. It's their fault, or that shouldn't have happened, or this is not fair." And so I'm getting that this is a very key thing. Well, what you just said is pretty human too. I mean, most of us. If I had, a, I got to be honest. If I had a choice, I'd be going the other way too. And uh, I don't love pain, and I don't love suffering. The I've learned from going through so much of it myself and also helping so many thousands of people for so many years, that there's a value to it. 
so I don't run away from it. But if you think I'm saying I love suffering and pain, I'd be lying to you. I don't. Um, <laughs> I, I do realize that there's a positive aspect, so much positive uh, value and wisdom and experience that comes out of it. But I don't want to sound so removed. I'll tell you the truth. Today, I'm not. You know, my wife has been very ill. We thought she was at the end of her battle um, this week. And I can't sit here and say I feel great. Um, it's taken its toll. My heart is broken uh, as grieving uh, just to see her struggling and failing. But knowing my wife, I, <laughs> she fights her way through it. And I'll be darned. She's coming. She's more back to herself again than she was. Um, but I also see what the end can look like and um, the weakening. And when it's time to go, she'll go. So I see that. And if if I said to you that I didn't appreciate that she's doing better, whether she's still here, I'd be lying. I'm so grateful. I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. But it's not the kind of gratitude that's filled with joyous, uplifting. Yeah, it's filled with both. I mean, there's, there's pain and law and the anticipation of loss. There, they call it uh, anticipatory loss yeah. and grief. Uh, I certainly am suffering through that, but yet there's so much value that is coming out of it. I have, I can't deny it. But at the same time, I can't walk around clicking my heels and saying everything feels great right now. No, no way. I don't. But I do know I've been through other very difficult times in my life. This isn't the first, although this is one of the hardest. But I've been through it, and I've seen how I can come through it. I've seen that no matter what's thrown at me, what losses I have to endure, whether it's fair or unfair, the world can be a very tough, unfair place. Um, I seem to come through it for the better, and I, I seem to learn from it each time. Can I ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot, uh, and I know you're going to have to go back a ways mm-hmm. for a real strong example. Mm-hmm. But can you share a time where you really kind of did try to avoid what was really happening and and fought against it instead of kind of going with it? I think there's been plenty of times now when I look back on there's a part of me like that. Sure, I'm not inhuman. Um, sure. There's so many times there's been a part of me that didn't want to admit what was really happening. And if you're a tough guy and grew up like I did, that can be detrimental to your life. And uh, there were things about my life when I was younger and the world that I was immersed in that was very dangerous. And um, I should have pulled out. I should have been aware of how dangerous it was. Um, And part of me was, but I was so darn used to it around... uh, you know, situations, this is in New Jersey with a, I grew up with organized crime all around me. I wasn't involved in it, but my God, it was part of our culture. And, uh, but I was never under attack by it until I got into the service and we built a project and sure enough, they came at us. Well, frankly, if I knew what they, how dangerous they really were, there are, they are terrorists. I would have run the other way. And part of me did not want to admit how dangerous these people truly were. And I didn't buy it. And uh, I looked the other way. I didn't look the other way that they were bad guys. I looked the other way as far as how dangerous they were and what they could do. Um, Later on, I sure found out. And they were for real, unfortunately. But I didn't want to look at it. When I finally did, Mm -hmm. 
we were over our heads in the battle with them, and we had lost everything. Anybody would. The only thing I walked away from was my life. And thank God for that, to be honest with you. But during that time, I learned a lot. That's one time, and that was pretty profound. There was another time that's more recent, and anyone who's a caregiver who has gone through a loved one who's been, um, uh, attack, I think, under attack, that's all I can say, with a form of dementia or Alzheimer's or a stroke or whatever, these people go through some phases of deterioration. Um, it's not very linear. It's You can't even program it, really. Um, and I remember it was happening to my wife, and I didn't want to truly face what was happening. And I kept thinking every time she'd have a little uptick that, well, she, we're going to go back to the way things were, and it's going to be better, and she's going to take responsibility, and we're going to have things the way they used to be. And I was living in hopes. Mm. That was denial. Because the truth of the matter is, there's no way it works that way. But everyone who goes through this, who's a caregiver, goes through that initial phase of denial. I know you've been, you, you attend a couple of, of groups for family caregivers of loved ones. And I think you said this is one of the more devastating things that you see when you go, is when people who have, as you did, kind of tried to deny what's happening and, and be just in hopes that things will get back to normal when it finally does hit them. How devastating it's that is. It's devastating. And I see it, and interestingly, at our institute, who's calling us for help now from us, are these caregivers that are reaching this desperate point. I'm glad of it, because we know a lot now, and uh, we've been through a lot. And we have a lot of empathy for them and experience. But, yes, I haven't seen it miss a, a, one person miss it yet. There are people that want to stay there, though, no matter what the deterioration is, and live in, with blinders on mm-hmm. as things are getting more and more dangerous. Uh, I, know, I know women that have, uh, where their husbands have become, who are suffering from a dementia and Alzheimer's, are absolutely dangerous. And these people don't want to admit that this is a, their lives are on the line because they don't want to believe their husbands would hurt them. They don't want to believe that, and these husbands have changed from the disease. And I've seen, I've heard stories where friends of mine had to lock themselves in the bathroom when their husbands were chasing them around with a knife or a bottle. And it was dangerous. And they just didn't want to accept that this was really happening. And people would say, look, you've got to get some help or your husband's got to be, uh, you've got to place him. He's getting too dangerous. And they never would do it. Mm -hmm. And they did not want to admit how serious it's gone. I have one friend who went right to the point where she's a lovely lady, Carmen, and I hope we're going to have her on her show soon. Carmen went, stuck, stood by him right to his grave till he, he died last year. But he was dangerous. And if you saw this little woman, who's a lovely lady, you go, holy mackerel. Mm-hmm. She was in danger. And yet part of her didn't want to accept that she might need some help, protection. Yeah. Um, I've seen that many times, but I have seen others like myself who begin to, first of all, accept the disease and its processes and what's going on. It's so difficult when you love someone. But the other part of it is then you can adjust your reactions to what's actually happening in the present. That's what I wanted to ask you is I I hear clearly that, that this kind of a denial for these ladies 
can be a physical risk for them if they don't accept that their husbands could become violent and hurt them. Yes. But I'm also wondering what they lose out on personally, emotionally, in the present by staying in denial. I mean, besides some physical risk, are they losing some chance to really connect with their loved one or some chance to, I mean, what what would you say to someone who is saying, I don't want to think about this, I don't want to go there, maybe they aren't physically threatened by their partner, but they just don't want to face it. What are they missing out on? Well, they're missing out on the truth. Um, when the, these disease, this particular disease takes over, their partner isn't the same anymore. It's not the same person, really. Um, I wouldn't say, uh, what are they missing out on? <laughs> no, I would say they're not embracing the truth of the situation and adjusting to it. Um, I would say that. But as far as missing, maybe I should maybe I should word it. What do they stand? How do their lives stand to gain to be to benefit? What through all that pain, what comes into their life that is worth having by facing it? Worth having. Well, <laughs> it's close to home. That's a good question. Uh, it's a. It's a it's a good question. Um, I think that there's some kind of meaningfulness uh, you go through with somebody who's going through this. Um, I've heard a lot of people say, really not unusual, say it's better off if they die. They're in so much distress and they're in such bad shape. Better off that they die. Usually the caregivers are so fed up and angry they'll say that they're burned out and yeah. burned out. Yeah, I'm the opposite. Um, Lynn is nothing like that. She's appreciative and just lovely and good person. Um, what I have now is the kind of loving relationship that I never knew I could have that involves a selflessness. It's a one-way street, most of it. Um, but I don't think I ever knew I was capable of doing this as much as I loved her until now. Adjusting to the situation as it is is very painful, but also being able to be there for her, being able to just appreciate and acknowledge what she is able to do, um, to be involved with her in some way that involves caring and loving and appreciation. Uh, those things mean a lot to her. They mean a lot to me. And one of the things I don't ever want to have is any regrets. I want to know that I've done everything that I possibly can for my wife to allow her, I want her to know how loved and appreciated and precious she is, no matter what kind of sacrifices I have to make. And I'm making some material sacrifices that are enormous to me. And yet, I look at the such bigger picture, and the bigger picture is what matters most. It's my wife, Lynn. So that, although I want to convey that to her in some ways that she can recognize, it also makes me feel more deeply, uh, makes me feel more human and humble and grateful. I have never had the kind of gratitude and appreciation that I have now. I used to, now I'm, I, I, won't, <laughs> I won't kid you, I'm a guy who liked a lot of nice material things. I loved fast cars, fast horses. I loved fancy vacations and uh, big ranches and big homes. I, I love all of that. Um, but not anymore. Not anymore. 
What really matters to me isn't that. Um, I, I make a joke about, well, I'd have to go to Hawaii. Before my vacations had to be Hawaii or Tahiti or something like that or Fiji to feel like I had a meaningful vacation. Today, if I go to take my horse uh, someplace a couple of hours away for a few hours, to me that fulfills me just as much. In fact, I'm, I think the intensity of gratitude is even deeper. And I've learned to appreciate little things so much more. Um, that I never knew I was capable of any of this. Humility, caring for my fellow man, reaching out to those that are in distress, not as a clinician anymore, but as a fellow human being. Instead of avoiding people's pain, if I see it and it's something that I can do something about, to reach out, to make an effort, to let them know that I care and I'm capable of offering them support and help. Those are things that are deepening in me. And uh, as one of my old friends from New Jersey said today, you finally have reached your calling in life, really, by helping caregivers. It sounds to me like you're, you're following something that is so important and meaningful now, and it sounds just right. And they said, keep going because there is such a need. And these are all friends of mine. They know me from the streets of mm -hmm. Newark, New Jersey, mm -hmm. and uh, they love me now. And they said, boy. How far he's come. Yeah. And what you're doing now needs to be done. Yeah. And you're doing it. And there's so much need. I was touched. And it meant a lot to me. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing, some of the things that I get out of this. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And and Peter, I I just I didn't want to just leave behind what you were talking about because I I felt touched with the things that you're sharing and I'm sure people listening are touched as well. Um I don't know that we're I think we're maybe just in a little bit of a different direction than we had kind of started to talk about before the podcast. And I don't want to just kind of try to go back to some other thing. I want to keep going in the direction that you're going. Um, we did talk about emotions. That's, what I, that's where I want to. And how they can get in our way during difficult times. Um would, shall we? Would you like to do some? That's just what I wanted to. That, you know, yeah. I want this broadcast to be relevant to what yeah. people go through. Not just look at it and go, "This is what you can be victorious and a champion," and because that can be all true too, by the way. And usually I am, but I don't want to, in any way, dismiss or discredit the emotional struggles that all of this involves. If you're human, and how powerful those emotions are, and how are. powerful they are. Um, and I can attest to it. Do I know how to deal with it? Yes. After a lot and of I've experience. Been a lot of years of experience of dealing with the impact of taking on the energy and the stresses of people who are recovering from trauma and all the work I've done. 
hundreds of thousands, a lot of hours, uh, a lot of people. But I do know how to deal with it, but it's still very painful. And the only difference is I acknowledge it, and uh, I see how it affects my body. I'm very tuned in, I'm very kinesthetic, so I feel the pain in my body, usually first. Um, I don't like that. I never said I love pain. Um, but I see the how emotional burdens can be so destructive if we don't know how to deal with them. If we don't cut a slice of our life out specifically to take care of ourselves um, and taking care of our deeper emotional pain and the burdens and the accumulation is an essential part of recovery and helping and becoming more resilient. Um, I do know how to take care of it. I'm a very intense fella. Um, I go through plenty of deep feeling and emotion. Many times when I'm with people that are going through difficulty, though, I can't hemorrhage all over them with what I'm going through. I can empathize. I can be there and come alongside them, which I do. Um, and I can be gentle with them because of what I know, because I go through the same thing. And to be really a good person in this way, you got to go through it yourself. And I recognize that. I still don't like how bad it can make me feel. Um, am I concerned about my physical well-being? Of course I am. I work out every day, I ride horses. Uh, I pay attention to my health. I've been like that a long time. And for my age, nobody even has a clue how old I am because I take really good care of myself. All of that's true. And yet, if I didn't deal with the emotional pain and burdens that I've been exposed to all these years and the traumas and the shock and the agonies that people go through, the losses and pain, I wouldn't look like I do today. I wouldn't feel like I do today, although today is a little bit of a painful day because of what Lynn went through. But honestly, I do know how to deal with it. And I do cut out some time for myself to be able to get those emotions out. And if I don't do it, my body reminds me, you better get this out because if you don't, you're going to get sick. Mm -hmm. And so uh, by this time, my body and I cooperate with each other and I take care of it. Mm -hmm. And I do get back on my feet. And I do become, I am resilient. Here I sit after all these years. So I am quite resilient. Um, so... This is very, very important. I also know that I can't let my emotions take me over so completely that let them. I, I don't want to let them just go unbridled. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at the world, my mindset, the outlook on life. Everything is being affected by how I feel about myself, how I feel about others. It's completely tainted by my emotions. I don't believe emotions give us an accurate reading of the situations in our current life. The feeling state, which is a normal state of our central nervous system, uh, they call it the felt state. That That's something else. That's our intuition. That's our abilities to read situations. Absolutely. That, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're carrying a lot of pain and emotional burden, your normal intuition is being distorted and, and uh, contaminated. Your outlook on life can be very negative very distorted. You can be very angry. Uh, if you're angry, your body's going to be tight and rigid and really just irritable. Um, 
there's lots of things that can happen. You when you become a, a, a aware of how these different emotions affect your body, you'll know what they're when that's happening, and that's also a very important part of the things we're talking about. Knowing and becoming aware of how how emotion affects you physically, and as you do that, there's your yellow flag, your warning flag, telling you you got to deal with this. Yes, this can make you sick, but if you deal with it, as hard as it is, you'll come through it, and you'll be better. And it won't be taking you over in such a complete way that your whole mindset would it won't be distorted anymore. Can it be? I've seen more people's outlook and mindset completely distorted by their emotional states, the burdens they carry. So I feel it's very important to help people work that out, to not let it take over so completely that they can't function, that they can't see straight, they can't understand and function in the present. Um, a really good example of it, and I think it's just for us probably one of the more current ones, is when we deal with the military. And we deal with the heavy end of the military, um, Marines mostly, uh, Navy SEALs. But they're like me truthfully and that's why they came to me and why they trust me but one of the things with them is they, they leave combat zones where it, every second is dangerous and it's it's a completely strange anomaly to live in that world because where they are it, terrible things are happening all around them can happen at any second they have to be on such hyper alert and they may be fearful inside but they have to be ready for action at any time that is appropriate and fitting for where they are. The problem, of course, is when they come home after all these missions they've been on, they have to, their whole being, their nervous systems, their bodies, their, their mindset has to adjust and change. Well, for many of them, it doesn't. And here they are walking the streets as civilians and they're expecting a catas potential catastrophe or an attack at any moment, at any time. They're in survival mode. That's right. They yeah. haven't left that survival uh, status of life. They haven't. Yes. That's right. And really, that's physical, too. That's part of the nervous system. So when these folks come back like this, it means that that autonomic, automatic part of their nervous system that involves impacting the emotions or the actions from it is not working right. So you have a, a part to you that's... Uh, what they call the, the sympathetic, another part that's called the parasympathetic. And these two different sides, um, one is to help you, uh, really when there's an attack or potential predator or whatever, you better be ready for battle. Um, and you better be ready for a fight or flight or free something to survive. Um, but when the threat is gone, the nervous system, if it's working in a balanced way, finds a way to release that intensified energy and come back to a more balanced, relaxed state where you're more receptive, where there isn't a threat, where you're not perceiving everything as a threat. And you're not on this high energy drain 24-7. I want to pick up on that for just a moment because I, I we have talked and, and it's important to understand about how um, intense emotions that you haven't dealt with can put a physical strain on your body and your health. It can cloud your thinking and your mindset so that you really can't mm -hmm. function well in the present. But I, but it's also important, hope people hear, that being on this hyper-alert state, uh, being charged emotionally and, and not letting go, it's a drain on your energy. 
um, that's where we've used this term a couple of times, the energy economy. Um, how you have a limited amount of energy to, to in your life. We're just human. And if we need it for caregiving, for our loved ones, for uh, the kinds of things that we need uh, to do to provide a living for our family, if we need it for, we need our energy in so many different ways. And if we're burning it in ways that don't serve us, it helps if we could become aware of that. You need to become aware of it. There's also physiological reactions. When you go on a 24-7 burn, your hormone levels, your cortisol levels stay very high. Eventually, they wear out. You burn out. Your your nervous system burns out. Um, that's that's a, not a good thing. Um, you were not designed that way. See, the other part of the nervous system, when it co- we call it normal self-regulation, when the threat's over, you get your body reacts and shakes off all of that intense fight energy and comes back to a more relaxed, more receptive state. Well, when people are caught in that hyper-alert reaction, 24, they don't go anymore to no. that more relaxed state. No. And they stay in it. So there's where the burn comes out. There's where the sicknesses come. There's where the burnout comes from. There's where the cortisol levels are going to eventually burn out. It's just too high. Mm-hmm. Our adrenaline is not, we're not made to des- design that way. Can we do it? Up to a point. Until we break down. Until your body can't handle it yeah. anymore. Um, our job has been over the years to help people get back to normal self-regulation and to discharge and help them recover from the experiences that keep them in that hyper-alert state 24-7. Now, it's not all conscious. It's not all, they're not no, aware of it. No, it's not a, a conscious choice that that's happening. That's right. It's in their body. Mm-hmm. It's in their nervous systems. It's imprinted with the old experiences. Now, I'm not talking psychotherapy. I'm talking about recovery from trauma or shock or terrible, difficult times of grief and despair. It, it's very doable. Uh, an old friend of mine says today was talking about the, the VA, and uh, I have a number of our, and she knows, a number of my old friends from the Vietnam era. They go to the VA every week, and she knew it about, and she said to me, I'll bet you they're in anger management every week. I said, you got it. And she said, you know, if the VA only could find a way to deal with these things and help these people out. She says, I don't know if there is a way. I said, Fran, I've been doing it for almost 50 years. Of course there's a way to do it. Um, and it works. I'm not saying for absolutely everybody, but boy, a big percentage. Here I sit today. I was just like my friends who are in anger management at the VA every week for the last 48 years or whatever, and I'm not because I went and got help. And I went to get, I wanted to get to a place where I did go to normal self regulation. I did want to let go of that mm-hmm. and live a better life. Mm-hmm. Well, fortunately, I met the right kind of people who helped me do that. Um, I was very intense, um, just like my friends, very violent, just like my friends. And yes, there was a way, and there is a way. And it changed my life to the point where I changed my PhD and adopted this work. Um, we certainly progressed farther than that at this point. But we do know how to help people recover and get back to normal self-regulation and prevent them from burning out, prevent them from ruining their lives with their families and loved ones and become more productive people again and more integrated in life again and be have the opportunity to be fulfilled. Because when you're in that hyper-alert state, there's no room for dis- fulfillment. What there is is 
preventing yourself or your loved ones from being killed at any minute. That's mm-hmm. the intensity that goes with this problem. It is. Yeah. It's a problem. You're yeah. right. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Peter, we've talked about, uh, I think in very concrete ways, uh, emotions and the, uh, the role they can play in difficult times that don't serve us, how they can, we can, uh, our health can break down, our energy is drained, we can stay in a hyper alert state. And your final point before our break of how how we miss out on some of the more rewarding, satisfying parts of life by staying in that hyper-alert survival mode all the time. We miss out on many important things. Um, In our last segment, I'm wondering um, whether uh, we want to just add again, uh, and we've talked about this before, that when our emotions are running high, and we can't always see how things really are, can't get through it in some way, that how much it helps us if someone can come alongside us mm-hmm. who knows us, uh, you know, has some perspective that we can't quite get hold of at the time, um, how essential that can and valuable Absolutely. that can be. And one of the things that we have f- found is that when you're in that hyper-alert state, particularly if you're a tough guy or a tough woman or whatever, there's an attitude. There's a, what they call stigma. And that attitude tells you if you let down, you're a wimp. If you let down, you're sick. If you let down, you're mentally ill and unreliable. Um, that's what goes with that. And it's so off. Yeah. The strongest people I know, the best, most resilient people I know, are the ones that know when they have to reach out and ask for help. Um, they do it, and they see it as a possibility. Uh, they see it as a strength, not a weakness. They may feel vulnerable and in need, but they don't have the stigma about it. They don't have they don't have a negativity about it. They know they need to get the help. There are people that they trust that they can go to. It can be a rabbi. It can be a pastor. It can be a parent. It can be a loved one. It could be someone in the community that knows you. It could be a psychotherapist. Lots of different folks um, that you trust, that know you, that can help you. Um, They come to us because we know how to help them recover from shock and trauma and loss and disease and pain. But here we are. We're human, too. And one of the the things I know we wrote in one of our papers is, and it's true, is that don't forget these people also are affected by things in life, maybe helping us even, yeah. that they too are going to need help, that nobody is immune. No, no. And and the person who you, you can tell, uh, somebody who can come alongside and really help you has got to have been some through something difficult themselves. It's a, it's a must. And I know that, uh, I don't know, when I was younger, I didn't get this. But um, I know that when we, uh, we, we have our nonprofit, 
for helping caregivers, veterans, their families. But also we have our institute that helps all kinds of people with distress and pain. Well, we have a team. We have teams of people that work with us. I love the people who work with us because we help each other. Am I the boss? Yeah. But if you go into the office that Jenny is in <laughs> with those women, it's like, I'm not the boss. I walk in there and go, just You're tread, still tread the lightly. Boss. They You're really still the know boss. more than I do and just ask. <laughs> it's just that there's a lot going on in there, but yeah, there you are is. still the boss. There is. I know I'm the boss, but honestly, <laughs> I'm not invested in being it. Um, I'm in, I really appreciate the people around me. And one of the things I find, and I, and I like that better about myself now, is that I'm more vulnerable, too, and I'm more human. And I like that. And so are they. Only they're, they've been human for a long time. But I am. And we work so much better that way. And, and you, you also, at this point, are so much more, and you said this so many times, you don't want to have to be the expert at everything. Mm-mm. You want to be able to rely on other people to contribute and have their strengths, and that takes a burden off of you. And also to encourage those p- potential strengths in people. And not to be threatened, but to look at it as, whoa, if I'm a leader, this is gonna, they're going to make me a better leader. If this institute is going to grow, we need that, what they have to offer. We work in teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I know how people look at me and who I am. But I also know that I know how to get out of the way and to listen to others who are a lot smarter than I am at times. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I like it. And... I like we take care of each other, and where I may be strong, well, there are times that I need some time for myself where I'm not. Where Jenny is strong and capable and brilliant, and she needs some time sometimes. Particularly oh, I on do. Sunday, yeah, on Sundays. I have my rough times. Yes, yes. she does have her rough times. Yes. Sundays, yes. Although this last Sunday she did really good. I did okay. Yeah, Whew. and yeah. what a relief that was. <laughs> but she does. She did great. But we all need time for ourselves. We all need support and love. Um, So there's a humanity to this kind of support too. And it's hearing each other, appreciating each other, and uh, valuing each other. That's what we do. And it works. It works. And I want to keep doing it. We want to use these broadcasts to reach so many more people and to decompress the stigma and help people to open up, to reach out, to get what they need so they can find their own recovery, their own health, their own resilience. If you're doing what I do, and Jenny does it too, and everybody we know, we're all caregivers of one sort or another. Um, The truth is, if you are, we want to help you. We want to help you come alongside you, or for you the support and and, and, uh, help you restore your energies and your capabilities and give you some hope, even in spite of the difficulties that you might be facing every day. We, we don't want you to think, we don't want people to think that they have to figure this out and do it on their own. So this is what we see so often in family, loved one, caregivers. They think, I've got to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. And they, they are going, they're going to need help, and we want to be there. Absolutely. Um, not to embarrass you and shame you, though. That, that's not about that's that's stigma. But to help, to get you on your feet, to keep you on your feet, um, and to keep you moving ahead in spite of the difficulties. You know, I'm a sports fan. I have been all my life and a, comp- a sports competitive person. I love boxing. I know people out there going. He loves boxing. Well, don't hold it against me. But um, 
the true champions that I've, I've seen aren't the ones that just have the natural ability to continue to be winners. I've, I've, seen, I've learned about character through competitive sports many times. And one of the things that I've seen is those that lose their championship or are knocked down or lose something and who seem to pick themselves up, learn from their mistakes, regroup, take their embarrassment, whatever, um, and grow from it and come back better than they've ever been. And the stronger statement that these people make isn't their natural abilities as athletes. It's their character Mm -hmm. as human beings. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that have helped shape my life amongst others. But that means a lot to me. And to me, that's what resilience looks like. Not to be the natural champion who's always good because those people who are always good can't seem to take any kind of defeat. And they just don't have the inner strength and character that you think they would. I've seen that too many times. But go take a look at the folks who get knocked down, those that pick themselves up. Those are the champions that everybody knows about, whether you're uh, a fan of boxing, rodeo, uh, you name it. There's races, uh, uh, car racing. I love all that stuff. But honestly, that's the way I I live my life. I, I love those kinds of things, but I also love character and strength and resilience. It's helped shape my life. I, it continues to do that. I am a spiritual man, I'll be honest with you. The inspiration for this broadcast today really is a couple of passages I read in the Bible that help me understand what it means to be truly a caregiving human being, to follow the calling upon your life, uh, to co- be able to come alongside others and realize the way you can learn to treat them gently is to go through it yourself. That's the best way. And to realize your own imperfections and grow from those. That's the way I see it. And I also see that, um, I'll say for me, God has come alongside me at my most needing points in my life. And he's helped me get back on my feet. And what I found is that that was to help me be able to come alongside others in similar kinds of situations and help them. No, I'm not a God. I'm not God. I'm just a man who knows what it means to have compassion and love and caring and support. That's what we want to convey. I know this has been a, I think there's been a little bit of a heavier episode today, but I can't help it. It's been a rough week for me. Uh, I got a lovely wife and I got a wonderful partner here. She's very smart and she's a great presence. Um, But this is serious times in my life and it's serious times in many people's lives that I know. I want to make sure that they know that there is always hope, no matter what. And if we can be the voice of hope and the voice of encouragement during those difficult times, call upon us. We're here for you. Anyway, I thank you for listening today. And Jenny's the one who's the commentator and the host, so I'm going to let her finish this up today. I hope this didn't scare you away. I hope instead this really gave you some encouragement in a more human, heartfelt way today. That's what I pray and hope for for all of you. That's what I believe, too. It was a little more serious, but it was you were human and heartfelt and genuine. And thank you for, uh, as you usually do, uh, being willing to share something that's very personal uh, and, and significant with the hope that it will make a difference to someone listening. And I believe it will, and we're going to keep going with this because this is our calling. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank 
You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson. If you'd like to know more about our show or about Dr. Bernstein, Peter, please visit our website at the Survivor's Guide to Life. And thank you to Steve, our, our tech, our support, our producer. He has updated our website. We now have our podcast available directly on the website along with links to our uh, Instagram, Facebook. Please visit, like, share, follow, comment. Let us know what you think. Again, our website is thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Thank you for listening. We wish you well. We wish you a good, a good week, and uh, please join us again next time.